You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, sometimes the international. We cover down on all the issues and like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Uh, good job grabbing the switch there, Boomer. <laughs> was, ah, you're welcome. I was yelling on the microphone to no avail, and then we realized my board was turned off, and Boomer turns around and hits that switch like this, like a... We were watching stuff before the show. You I were mean... quick on the draw, dude. <laughs> quick on the draw. Doc, Doc Holliday's got nothing on you. Um, hey, we got a great show laid on. How are you doing today, buddy? Oh, I'm good. <laughs> just, I'm great. I'm just talking are about you, Are you good? I'm good. Yeah, sure. awesome. We're All both right. good. Um, hey, uh, we got a great show laid on for you, too. It's 3 o'clock today. 3.30, actually. 3.30, Boomer? 3.30. 3.30. Boomer and McQueen coming on the show today. So, yeah, we did that for the first time last week. You remember, those of y'all that have been with us for a while, uh, we used to do um, Copper and the Birdman. Then it was Boomer and the Birdman. And then Copper and Birdman are both, you know, doing other things in life right now. And now we got Boomer and McQueen, which is uh, our first run was last week. And that was just that was just fun. Just fun. And uh, so, yeah, that's today at 330. Uh, I love hearing the perspective of what the generation behind me has to say about the same things that I see and deal with. And so, yeah, Boomer and McQueen today at 330. It's going to be a regular segment. And then four o'clock today. Uh, my longtime friend and now the Senate Majority Leader for the Alabama State Senate, Clay Schofield, is going to be here. Uh, Senator Schofield uh, is uh, one of the leadership members of the Alabama legislature. And just like we try to always do, we get you the people here who can give you thoughts, answers, perspectives, help you understand where they're headed, and also give you a chance to hear from them so then you can respond yourself. So anyway, 4 o'clock today, Alabama Senate Majority Leader Clay Schofield. You're going to want to hear that conversation. And then I got a triple dipper, bar none. So hit it. The triple dipper. Three stories you've got to know. That's right. The triple dipper. Three stories, three themes, if you will, that you've got to know as we run today's show. Number one, DEI bias. DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion bias. Well, I, thought, I thought diversity, equity, inclusion was to do away with bias. No, it's created bias. DEI is a scam. DEI bias. We're going to talk about it in academia, in the uh, in the work world, in the military. DEI bias, maybe even in politics. Yeah, we'll cover down on that. Number one on the triple dipper, and number two, policy matters. Didn't get to it yesterday. We'll see if I get to it today. But number number two of the triple dipper is policy matters. That's a play on words. We're going to talk about policy matters, and we're going to talk about the fact that policy matters. And so, when you set a policy as an executive branch of government, you might not be the legislature. But it impacts things, and it creates, you know, things happening in regulating, uh, regulatory bodies that that swirl around the rest of us. So yeah, policy does matter, and we're going to talk about it. Number two on the triple dipper, and then number three, along with the interview with uh, State Senator Clay Schofield, we're going to be talking about what I'm referring to as 2023's hashtag AL politics. In other words, what is happening in our Alabama politics? What do we foresee? Is the legislature going to bring us anything on school choice, on tax relief? What else may be in the pipeline? Where are we on things like rural broadband? And that's important, too. So, yeah, we're going to cover all these issues, 2023's 
Hashtag AL politics number three on the triple dipper. All right, listen, as if that's not enough, I got my monologue too. So those of y'all that listen to the show regularly, you know every day I start off with my own comments. And and I got I to gotta tell you, as I looked at today's world around me, the things that are happening, the, the, the swirling of culture and, the, and the, the fighting in politics and, you know, what happened in the 2022 midterms and where are we headed in the 2024 elections. And listen, sometimes it's not just about who or what you fight. Sometimes it's also about why and when and where and with what and even how. So here's the deal. Framing the culture war the political war, the conservatives striving to get conservative values in place in all aspects of society, framing that as a battlefield, I got to say, you choose your battlefield. You make sure that the terrain on which you fight is best suited for your troops and not the enemies. You choose the most opportune time. You launch a successful offensive or properly time the logistics of your fight, making sure that you employ the right tactics, the right weapons. And it's, it's the five W's, y'all, the five W's. Who, what, when, where, why, and then add a how. A successful tactical or even strategic level fight must have a good basis based in planning on the five W's. Sometimes, too, there's a catalyst, a moment, a thing that happened, a momentum swing, something you got to grab hold of because that thing creates the need to move forward, even when that catalyst might even be a loss. Because nothing galvanizes a warrior like a determined effort to recoup lost ground. Now, let me step aside and say I've had an opportunity in recent years to spend some time with someone who I consider to be one of my personal heroes, uh, retired Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin. You may have heard my interview with him on the show a few months ago. General Boykin had an amazing military career. He was one of the founding members of what we now call Delta Force. His participation in epic special operations missions is unbelievable. The attempt to rescue the, the Iran hostages the invasion of Grenada, where he earned his first Purple Heart, the invasion of Panama, the Battle of Mogadishu, known as Black Hawk Down, the hunt for the drug lord Pablo Escobar. At one point, he commanded all U.S. Army Special Forces, which we call the Green Berets. He's also a man of great faith and character who shares his relationship with Jesus often to other people. And in retirement, he now works for the conservative Christian organization, the Family Research Council. I encourage you to read his book, by the way. It's called Never Surrender. It's linked to the Right Side Radio website, so you can track it down if you want to. Of the amazing missions that General Boykin was on, there are two that became absolute catalysts for change, and they go back to my first point about having catalysts that create the next fight. The first one was the attempted rescue of the Iran hostages in 1979, and the other was the invasion of Grenada in the early 80s. Both of those missions were dynamic, they were audacious, and they were flawed from the very beginning. The 1979 mission to rescue our U.S. citizens who were being held in the embassy by Islamic extremists for over a year in Iran was named Operation Eagle Claw. Now, I won't go into all the details, but suffice to say that mission failed when logistical and operational issues on the ground led to a collision and a fire that killed eight members of the rescue force. It was part of the downfall of Jimmy Carter's presidency. The invasion of the small island nation of Grenada, it was ultimately successful, but it suffered some of the same issues as Eagle Claw. Basically, in all the after-action reviews of both missions, it was determined that there was inter-service communications that were just horrible. The Army, the Air Force, the Navy, the Marines, they didn't talk well together. They didn't have compatible systems. They didn't have compatible support nodes. And they were each protective of their own turf, and they wanted their own piece of the pie. So as a result, a direct result, of these two major operations that General Boykin participated in, the U.S. Special Operations Command was formed in 1987. 
literally because of those issues. A completely separate joint command, which now has authority over Navy SEALs, Air Force Special Operations, Army Rangers, Green Berets, and Marine Raiders. No more infighting. No more lack of communication. No more fussing over taking orders from someone from a different branch. It was a unified command structure to fight battle. So why am I telling you all this? Because we have to consider such things for other fights as well. We conservatives cannot forget the broader mission. We have to fight on all fronts. And when we face losses, when we face things that we have had considered setbacks, we have to do an after-action review. We have to look at what the lessons learned should be. And we have to put in place those things which help us fight the next battle. Just like they did in the, in the aftermath of Grenada and Eagle Claw setting up Special Operations Command, we as conservatives have to be mindful of the way forward because of the lessons learned. We must assess the fight in view of the five W's and make sure that we employ the best people, the best messaging, the best tactics, the best timing, and the best locations. Here's a classic example, last year's Dobbs decision by the Supreme Court of the United States. After decades of striving and losing and working, the right people were elected to confirm the right people to the court to make the right decision at the right time, and Roe v. Wade came crashing down. It's a classic example that one of our chosen battlefields has to be the court system. We must fight in the courts to protect our rights, a legal battle. We must also fight in our state legislature to make sure that laws here at our home front, right here in the state, are designed to protect us and to give our attorney general ammunition against liberal federal overreach, things like school choice, taxation, and defending against that overreach, a state legislative battle. We must fight in our local school board elections here at the home front to make sure that our kids are getting the best education possible and are not victims of social justice warriors who just want to co-opt our children. It's a daily battle, a daily battle for the hearts and minds and future well-being of our most precious assets, our children. It's a school board battle. We have to fight to send the right person to the governor's office who has the strength, the stamina, the moral compass, and the conservative values to put Alabama on the right track no matter what the pressures. It's an executive battle. We must fight to send the best possible candidates up to Washington, D.C., who not only look good and sound good, but who will actually carry the values that this state is known for among its people. It's a federal battle. All of these battles, and more like them, we have to fight them all, and at times we have to fight them all at the same time. And it requires clarity of purpose and unity of command. It requires assessing things firmly using the five W's, the who, what, why, when, where, and how. We will not get there if we only care about one aspect of the plan. We must be cognizant this is asymmetric warfare and that we're on a battlefield that has no front lines. We have to be prepared to do all of it. There's a song that I love by Christian artist Michael W. Smith. It's only a few years old, even though he's been recording for like 40 years. It's called Surrounded. This is how I fight my battles. And when you hear the song, you realize that's the way he likes it. The verse says, it may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. And this is how we fight our battles. You see, liberals think they got us surrounded, and too often we act like it. Liberals think they've gotten the upper hand because Republicans too often just eat our own and turn on each other. The 2020 and 2022 elections, the street riots, the pandemic, the Biden economy, all those combined are what to conservatives what like General Boykin's missions were to the military. They somehow made us feel disjointed. It was a setback. We suffered some losses. But I'm telling you, I'm sensing more resolve in the aftermath of those things than ever. Just like we learned lessons and bounced back stronger after those military missions, conservatives have to do the same thing with our fight to win our social, political, and cultural battles. And we got to stay in this thing. Using every tool, every trick, every technique and tactic unified under one banner, planning for the who, what, why, when, where, and how. 
And it may look like we're surrounded, but that's how we fight our battles. That's how we win. And that's a wrap for the right side way. Well, there you have it. Apparently I'm in a mood. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, liberals think they got us surrounded. What a great place to be. Who was the battlefield commander when he was told that we're completely surrounded? He said, good, then they cannot escape us. Love it. Got a plan. Got a plan accordingly. Got to look back, learn the after-action report, lessons learned, put them into effect, move forward. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative just plain right hey uh we are already moving into the show text lines are open some folks are already jumping on board 833-687-4448 that's 833-68-RIGHT if you want to text in we'll take them uh call in if you want to too that's the same number 833-687-4448 which i've been told i say too fast 833-687 now Four four, y'all understand four eight. There you go. All right. Um, <laughs> John from Huntsville uh, just texted in already. Nice monologue, Phil. Sounds like you had your coffee. I'm still drinking it, John, but I got the first half of it down. Um, but uh, hey, listen, I'm, I'm I'm pretty stoked about some of the stuff we got on the show today. Not the least of which is Boomer McQueen. Oh, it's gonna be good today. <laughs> I, I, I was I slept good last night, so I'm prepared. Yeah, yeah. And my mind is going to be quick-witted on these questions. Are you Red Bulled up? I'm not a Red Bull fan. Oh, see, yeah. I'm a little concerned about the fact you don't drink coffee. I don't understand. <laughs> I know, I know. I mean, I just let I you know I let my wife love. do that, so she can drink the coffee. So she drinks coffee. Uh, McQueen does. Y- yes and no. I mean, I, I think she likes the. Come on. What's the? What is Charlene like? She younger, likes the, the treat coffees. The treat coffees. <laughs> uh, well, I just see. Okay, I look at this and think that younger generation. What is what is wrong with that younger? It's coffee, man. It's the elixir of life. It's the nectar of the gods. It's the fuel. <laughs> it's the fuel for the future. I I love the smell of it. By the I mean, way, fuel for the future. I just kicked that in. That was, that was a brand new one. Fill for the future. Fuel, fuel, oh, f- <laughs> fuel for the future. Yeah, well, it might make fill for the future too. I don't know. Hey, uh, but you guys are still working your podcast. I mean, you guys oh, yeah. have got the podcast coming together. Things are looking good. It's coming together. Lots of social media stuff will go roll out this weekend, and it comes out uh, next Wednesday. I want to see. I wa- where's that uh, that that caricature of y'all that's going to be like a. A cover art kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah, it's it, we got it, and we'll, we'll probably make a post uh, post it all this weekend, and we may even post it on the right uh, right side Instagram so that people start knowing about it as well. And then the other so. thing is that video y'all did at first, where you were, you were <laughs> trying to figure out the microphones and what to do and how do I say this and yes, that, that okay, let's is... let's clarify. It wasn't y'all figuring it out; it was <laughs> McQueen figuring it all out. Okay. I was just sitting there like. All right. all. <laughs> let me let me do some explaining. Let me do some explaining to you. You some do not explaining. come on here and throw your wife under the bus. That is never <laughs> a good idea. 
<laughs> I'm just hoping she's not listening right now at this particular moment. <laughs> uh, yeah, but hey, folks, uh, we do. The, the, the next piece of expansion in the repertoire of uh, Right Side Media, which is the parent company here, uh, right Side Media is the uh, the podcast. Boomer McQueen got their podcast called The Right Life. That's right. right. The, right Life. the Right Life. Yeah, The Right Life, and uh, and I love it. I, I mean, I've I've heard samples of it already. I'm pretty stoked. They, they so here here I am. I'm an old dude, right? <laughs> so I'm the gray hair. I, I am I'm the gray beard in the room without the beard. I'm the gray beard. Uh, but I've got these two folks that that are just literally a part of the fabric of this this whole show, this company. And, uh, you know, can't imagine them not being here. And, and they are a, a young, solid, you know, up-and-coming family, raising their kids, raising them right, raising them uh, to, to love the Lord, raising them to, with conservative values. And I like hearing their perspective on life, some of which winds up getting to be pretty funny. That's, that was good what you said. They're just raising them right. Ah, Did that, didn't I? I like that. Just I like that. on the right side. Man, on the right side. I like it. <laughs> Raising them right. All right, so February February <laughs> 1, which is next week, uh, you'll have uh, available podcasts uh, from uh, Boomer and McQueen. Hey, by the way, I got to say this also, too. People talk about, so you're a separate business? Yes, we are. So, yeah, we got great channels. I mean, we're we're, we're literally affiliated with uh, Cumulus Broadcasting, Crawford Media Group. Uh, we're on uh, 770 AM, 92.5 FM, both out of Huntsville, uh, 101 FM, uh, WXJC, and uh, 850 AM, WYDE out of Birmingham. Uh, the signals on those towers give us so much range. It's incredible. And uh, But we're not owned by those stations. We are a syndicated show. We are a separate business. If you want to advertise on Right Side Radio, well, then we can help you. But advertising on Right Side is as easy as contacting us because we sell our own advertising. So, um, so yeah, if you want to contact us, you can do so through the website. There's a contact point on there where you can send us an email. We get it. We'll plug you right in. We'll have our sales staff call you. But Right Side exists as a separate entity all on its own, and we got to do what it takes to run a business. So if you want to buy ads, we're there for you. Uh, and, and, you know, when you – when you're one of the number one ranked uh, afternoon talk shows in the entire northern half of the state, it might be good for a business. I'm saying. Just saying. Just saying. But that's that's what we got going on. All right. <laughs> Listen, we're going to come right back. I'm jumping into the uh, triple dipper. Number one, DEI bias. Well, I thought DEI was supposed to cure bias. No, not really. DEI, diversity, equity, inclusion. It just creates bias. I'll tell you about it when we get back. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Right. 
And we are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, covering some ground across the northern part of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about this show goes way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back over to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi thrown in just for good measure. What are you doing? So can I can I just jump in before you start? And a lot of people were- <laughs> Apparently you are. <laughs> yeah, getting on to me for the coffee thing. Oh, (laughs) well, not getting there's some that are like on board with me. Bruce from Hazel Green said, I'm with you, Boomer. I'm 66 years old. I never had a cup of coffee and I still don't like the smell of it. What? What? (laughs) Yeah, Bruce. That is just Bruce. No, no, no. That's bad advice. (laughs) You got Joe from Owens Crossroads. He says, Boomer needs to try having a cup of coffee outside by a campfire wrapped in a a woobie. That's that's exactly right. That's what I need. Some of the some of the best coffee in the world happens while you're sitting on a rock or a log or a stool next to a campfire with your woobie blanket over your shoulders, and it's just and you're just you're just steaming that cup of coffee. It's warming your hands up. Mm-hmm. It's making your day better. The smell of it just makes you feel like everything's all right. Well, that's good. Well, then and then John from Huntsville on a totally different level. Well, what he says you need to try some of that uh, coffee made from. <laughs> From monkey poop, monkey, coffee beans. Monkey poop, coffee beans? <laughs> he I, was telling me about it the other day, and it, he said, I'm sure it smells great, and it costs only 150 a bag. 150 a bag? <laughs> that better be some monkey poop. I mean, that's like, that's, um, that's awful. Uh, that's John Paul from Huntsville did that. Was that John? Yeah, okay, yep, yep sure enough. Um, and I, I got I to gotta, I gotta just ask the question then. All right, audience, you right-side ruffians out there, everybody knows Coffee is the elixir of life, the nectar of the gods, the fuel for the future. It's the wake-up song to your 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 taste buds. Should boomers start drinking coffee? Oh, that's I just I'm throwing it out there. Y'all are welcome to text in 833-687-4448. Should what, boomers I mean is it straight black coffee? coffee? Is that what I need to start drinking? Well, if you got to go ahead and girl it up a little bit, you can. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what kind, guys. I mean, I I, I will try again. I, I am personally a black coffee drinker. Okay, that's that's me. I I don't fret over somebody decorating their coffee a little bit. Um, and and I've been known once in a while to put some flavored creamer in there, like like over Christmas, something like that, just from special. But for the most part, mine's just usually a, a cup of black coffee. But I do like uh, like different blends, like a like a French roast, okay, or um, like a there's there's one called the uh, African Sumatra blend that I like. I mean, I sound like a total coffee snob right now. <laughs> I've gotten to where I will grind the beans sometimes fresh on a Saturday morning. Usually it's a usually it's like one of those coffee pods. Get up at four thirty in the morning. All I want is some coffee. Just make it happen. But on the weekend, I'll make the good coffee okay. and then you know grind the beans fresh. And sometimes I'll do what's called pour over coffee. Reward yourself on the weekend. Reward myself. Yeah. Yes, I Got guess it. that could be true. All right. Well, John, I'm going to jump in. Are you feeling the pressure? I am feeling the pressure. We're gonna, I'm going to see what everybody says, though. Do we'll it. See. You'll be cool. Everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, God. no, my bad. I, I went off total, total, total rabbit trail. You just totally ransacked <laughs> that entire segment. Time for a break. <laughs> wow. All right. Hey, listen, uh, DEI bias. That's the first part of the Triple Dipper. DEI bias. Diversity, equity, inclusion bias. Now, allegedly, diversity, equity, and inclusion is supposed to relieve us of the biases of a systemically biased culture. You know, we're systemically racist. We're systemically homophobic. We're systemically whatever. No, we're not. But hey, um, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, 
phrases that have been around a little bit, phrases that got like just totally took over the entire lexicon of corporate America, academia, and all of it in the wake of the George Floyd uh, 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 killing and the riots that ensued thereafter, Black Lives Matter. Everybody was on their knees. Holy cow, we got to have more diversity, equity, and inclusion. We're sorry. We'll hire people. Well, here's a story for you. I pulled this one. It's out there in a variety of sources, one of which is 1819 News. I saw 1819's version of the story after I had uh, uh, already resourced the show for the day. But the other one I've got here is from AL.com. University of Alabama professor. By the way, he made national news. He's also on Fox. Professor says he's quitting the University of Alabama amid the rise of illiberalism and DEI pushes on campuses. So, yeah, right here in our own state, we're not talking about something happening in San Francisco. This is not a thing going on in Chicago or New York City or Minneapolis. A University of Alabama earth sciences professor said he is quitting over what he called the rise of illiberalism and a push for diversity, equity, and inclusion that he said ultimately harms students in a tweet storm that went viral. Says, while Matthew Walicki, that's his name, professor, said his main reason for leaving Tuscaloosa was to be closer to family in Colorado, the rise of illiberalism also made his decision much easier. In his words, he says, quote, the rise of illiberalism in the name of DEI is the antithesis of the principles that universities were founded on. There are no longer places that embrace, these are no longer places that embrace the freedoms of exchanging ideas, and they will punish those that go against the narrative. And he went on to talk about right there at the University of Alabama. And the University of Alabama, of course, responded with the biggest gobbledygook I've ever seen. I mean, look, y'all, let me just go ahead and suggest that if you're going to respond to something, just respond to it. Don't send out an overworded, robust paragraph full of Scrabble words that don't impact the answer, all right? But the University of Alabama sent out a statement, and they basically denied it. They, they didn't deny it. They just said, we are committed to academic freedom, free speech, and open scientific inquiry, and the university encourages civil discourse and exchanges of numerous and varying perspectives. We offer wipe, blah, 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 blah. In other words, they didn't say we don't incorporate DEI because they do. They have staff whose titles are things like provost of diversity, equity, and inclusion. You got the soundtrack, Boomer, on this guy's, uh, this guy's interview on, uh, on Fox? Yeah, get that ready. I think I'm going to use that here in a second. So Professor Welicki told Fox News in a recent interview after his tweets went viral that every decision in academia is now framed in this lens of diversity, equity, and inclusion, everything from students to the funding of grants. He says that's not what we're doing in academia anymore. We're discouraging people. He said, I think DEI is increasing minorities, but I think the income outcomes we see are not having any positive effect. I tell you what, boom, you got it? Let's go ahead and, and uh, let's start playing it. I will talk through it for a minute. I may have to stop you as we go along. Go ahead.
Stop. Stop right there. Stop, stop, stop. All right. I hope you heard that. You got the professor who admittedly now is, is, is leaving his job. He's moving to Colorado. He said they are getting closer to family. That was one of the driving forces, but it was made a whole lot easier by the fact that he's just sick and tired of dealing with DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which he said is exactly the opposite of what he believes that Dr. Martin Luther King stood for. When you hear that, what does that mean? Well, what is, Dr. King was there to tear down barriers that were enacted because of race and bias. And, and, and here you got a guy who's saying, well, DEI, which supposedly is helping to break down those barriers, in his words, having worked on the inside, is literally creating those. It's the antithesis of what Dr. King stood for. Keep playing. Okay, stop. Stop. Stop, stop, stop. 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 Okay, here's the deal. What he just said is key. The virtue signaling in academia is literally designed to make the academic environment look good. They don't care what happens when they leave. So if they have to lower the standards to boost the racial dis the, the demographics of their school or to, to, to make sure they have more LGBTQ uh, ceiling, glass ceiling breakers or whatever, if they, if, they can, if they can change their demographics, it virtue signals to the world that DEI is helpful. Look, we have more people of this ethnic persuasion or of this you know, minority group or of this you know, sexual persuasion or gender identity. Okay, great. Just because you took them in and avoided taking someone on merit, did that then equip them to be a better person in that field in the world? And he's saying, the studies say, no. Um, what an interesting perspective. So what you're telling me is affirmative action doesn't work? That's what he's telling me. So DEI is supposed to reduce bias. DEI, in his opinion, is just increasing bias. And oh, by the way, is having no positive effect. I think there's a little bit more, Boomer. Go ahead and play it.
All right, stop right there. Stop right there. And that's the other piece. He also said that the woke policies, and he's a University of Alabama professor, the woke policies on climate change are so overwhelming, he called it catastrophism. The constant telling to the younger generation that nothing good is happening and no good can come from what you do, so why should you try, has got him having students tell him they don't know if they want to have a family because they're concerned about the nature of the world because of catastrophism, which is another version of just bending the facts in order to support the, 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 you know, the liberal agenda. All right, Boomer, let's take a break right now. We'll come right back and keep this DEI bias push going. By the way, Boomer, Charlene just texted in and told me to leave you alone about coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love Charlene. Oh, wow. Oh, I can't. I can't. I, I'm a grown man. I can say what I want to say. <laughs> Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. We'll be right back. We are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Solid conservative, just plain right. Saving the world one soundbite at a time. Uh, Boomer, you're getting some love over here on the text line. Uh, Rita from Scottsboro says, no, Boomer, don't do it. Hot tea's the way to go, which you've already answered, by the way. And she says, yes, tell Phil hot chocolate is good, too. Smells <laughs> good and tastes good. Thank you, Rita. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, Mike from, uh, does that say Coxie, Alabama? Says, yes, drink it. If you need to add some salve to your coffee, go for it. But eventually, after you get used to it, black coffee is best. So there you mm. go. Jeremy from Huntsville points out black coffee is used to wash down a bite of warm glazed donut. That's, see, uh, that's like the perfect combination. That that does sound good. A cup of... I, I did respond to that, and I said, the donut from where? <laughs> and that's a, that's a thing. And he responded back. Oh, I haven't seen it yet. He oh, said, I haven't got he, that far. He says Krispy Kreme. Hot lights on at Krispy Kreme is like Hot a whole light. new day, man. <laughs> I've been known to do a U-turn. I've been known to be driving down the road, go highlight. Do they like, just keep squirrel. that light on now just to make you pull in? That's the that's that's the question. Well, that would be wrong. I know. I mean, I like know. society is in one <laughs> giant batch of Pavlov's dogs. It's like that's the bell, and we we respond to it. But then again, a maple bacon donut. Um, uh, Tony from Piedmont thinks you must not have had too many you know up and conscious days, twenty four hours long. And I said, no, no. Boomer's been raising two kids, worked on multiple country music tours, and ran several businesses. Pretty sure he's had some sleepless nights, and he says, Roger that. Uh, lots, of, lots of sleepless nights. Just uh, my, my drink of choice was sweet tea to keep so, me through. And, and uh, Susan from Elkmont, thank you for your service, Susan, says, no, Boomer, I'm 65 and retired Army. I never drank coffee. I do not understand that. I thought it was a requirement. I thought one of the things that happened in basic training was you were taught to drink coffee. Um, anyway, all right. Send, send more love. Oh, Raven love from it. Russell just texted in and says, if you can't see the bottom of the cup, it ain't coffee. <laughs> or if you can see the bottom of the cup, I'm sorry. If you can see the bottom of the cup, it ain't coffee. I agree. It's just love coffee. Just love coffee cafe. That's like perfect time for an ad. Oh. But anyway. All right, <laughs> DEI. In a few minutes we got left here, we'll lap over to the next uh, side of the hour. But um, listen, I just did that on academia. And it's more than academia, by the way. But how about this? DEI, Fox News has an article dated December 23rd, just a few weeks ago. It says a new study claims that language relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion in scientific publications has increased by 4,200%. 
in the last 10 years. 4,200%. It's, it's, now, part of it is because it's buzz language. You know, I mean, I, I, if you've ever been in the military environment, the next new acronym becomes a new buzz. You got to say the thing. You got to say the right word. You got to say the right acronym. So part of it's that. But it also clearly indicates it's infiltrated, all right? It's embedded itself in the lexicon. It says the National Association of Scholars released a report in late November outlining the steep increase of DEI-related language being used on university websites, social media accounts, academic associations, scientific publications, and grants. For example, it says the study analyzed and found that reports about anti-racist and DEI-related topics have grown between three and 42 times faster, depending upon which ones you're looking at, which type of reports. It also says 100 universities were examined. Their Twitter accounts were found to have grown exponentially in the use of DEI. Well, here's one example for you. Let this sink in. Yahoo.com. University of Michigan. You ready for this? The University of Michigan. Where's Wolverine Dan? We need to hear from him. University of Michigan spends more than $18 million on DEI staff and salaries and benefits. $18 million a year. It says the University of Michigan will spend more than $18 million this academic year on salary and benefits for its diversity, equity, and inclusion staff, according to analysis by economics professor emeritus Mark Perry. That figure amounts to the cost of in-state tuition for like 1,075 students. You can have 1,000 students go to school on what they're spending just on 142 staff members whose mission in life is diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of those uh, is the Vice Provost for Equity and Inclusion, Ms. Tabby Chavis Sellers. She makes $380,000 a year. And, and, and so I'm just, I'm just telling you, folks, this is, this is so out of control. And that's, there's 17 other DEI staffers at the University of Michigan that make over $200,000 a year. There's 95 staffers that make more than 100000 in total compensation just for DEI work. And, you know, this, this guy who did the study said those misguided and expensive DEI resources could be better spent by just reducing tuition instead of feeding new layers of costly administrative bloat. And that's, that's true. That's a clear indication that academia, especially the University of Michigan, for the love. And then I gave you the quotes from the University of Alabama professor who's leaving. This is, this is happening. It's all over academia. When we get back, though, we'll finish this topic up. I'll, I'll tell you, I've got an article here about DEI in the military. I've got an article here about DEI in med schools. I've got an article here about DEI in the corporate world. And then, unfortunately, I've got an article that talks about the fact that DEI is even being used in the Republican majority's new committees in D.C. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. side ruffians out there.
You're listening live to Right Side Radio with Phil Williams. It's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side. Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama's syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio. Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, we got the local, the state, the national covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, hey, we're back. It's second hour. Boomer, it's second hour. How did this second happen? Second hour. That went by fast. Really fast. Um, I got a caller that held on. Is that Lee from Huntsville? Ah, I love Lee from Huntsville. What you got, Lee? How you doing? Yeah. I am doing well. Hope you're well. I am well. Yes, ma'am. What's on your mind? Well, okay. First of all, I want to make sure that you highlight the difference. People think of diversity and uh, inclusion as including the word equality, but it's equity. Yep. And I want people to understand the difference between equality and equity. So if if 10 people are taking a college course, equality is everybody arrives that same day, get a book, has the same teacher spend the time in the classroom. Equity means everyone gets the same grade. Uh, Now, equity doesn't take into consideration natural talents, drive, dedication, um, you know, any of this. Yeah, just natural smarts, anything. It doesn't take into consideration any of that effort. So it doesn't, it it ignores the kid who spends every hour studying and the five kids who go out and party every night. Should they all get the same grade? No, because they all didn't put forth the same effort. So, but equity means you finish in the same place, and yeah. and no society should ever aim for equity in any way, shape, or form. It's devious. No, it's because a it great says point. everybody's gonna end up in the same place no matter what you do. Now, the only thing I want to say about med school is there are major med schools all over the United States that are holding up to half their class for diversity in rural students, and they are allowing them in with fifteen points lower, ten points lower on the MCAT than. Um, than at your average student that gets into med school. And they're letting them in with a 3.3, 3.4, which is unheard of for getting into med school. Anything under 3.5 before would be not even considered. But really, you need to be 37, 38, 39, 4.0. Because, you know, doctors are... The level of intelligence don't come along very often, you know. No, and they and they and, should. They um, should be the. It should be the person who has earned should. the right to be there. You're, you're exactly right. And by the way, I, I heard that there is even a push right now to do away with the MCAT altogether because it's somehow well, biased. That's insane. I'm sorry, that's insanity. You have to be able to pass that. You have to be able to to do high level science, and you have to be able to do multiple high level science classes together. If you don't, you will fail. But here's the thing: so many of these these uh, med schools are pass fail. You don't even have you. They can pass with a 70. You don't know what they got. And the thing is, you um, when they try to do this social engineering, and they will even tell you in med school that they are attempting to social engineer the society so that we can have doctors that look more like a reflection of the United States. Well, then you get the doctor you get. And, and that may not be a good thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, 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 listen, I don't want the doctor who got there because of affirmative action. I got the one who's best qualified to take care of my medical need, period. I want the one who's going to you oh, know, have the, the most way, skill in the OR, period. Yeah, and more than half of all med students are female, so they can't level the uh, gender um, button anymore. They can't you know, blow that up because there's more, more female doctors now than males so, uh, in med school. So it's now they're trying to shape it in another direction. 
Uh, it's and, I, and I, by the way, the American Medical Association, I believe, came out with something just in the last six or seven months that that that, that is pushing med schools to this very thing. I think I had that on the show several months ago. But yeah, great, great points, yeah. Lee. You're in your back to your original point. It's not about equality; it's equity is what they're what they're pushing for. And equity does not mean the same thing as equality. It does not mean it at all. Um, and uh, good, good no. point. Good, good point. Thanks, Lee. Appreciate you. That's another great call from Lee. Um, yeah, I, I tell you, the, the the reality is this: there is nothing good that is coming from the whole DEI thing. All right, nothing. There is nothing good that is coming from the whole DEI push because it was based upon 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 wrong premises. It was based upon the idea that if we just say, well. You know, it's not about how good you are or what your merit is or the strength of your character. It's really what we need is, is we need to look good. So we want you, you, and you because you make us look good. That's exactly the opposite of what should be happening. What we should be happening is we're going to look good because we got the best of you. We, we got the very best. The cream of the crop. Wants to, remember back in the day when the Ivy League education meant that the cream of the crop, if you had a Harvard degree, which is still a big deal, I get it, but if you had a Harvard degree, if you had a degree from Yale, if you had uh, a degree from, you know, uh, the MIT or, or one of the uh, military academies, you could imagine that that meant that you were the cream of the crop. Now you have to wonder, is that still the same? The degree still means something. I'm not saying it doesn't. But what I am saying, though, is that too often what happens, happens now is – the university, the corporation, the ranks of whatever group that has a DEI staffer is less concerned about who you are and the quality you bring to the table. They're more concerned about how you look. They're more concerned about whether they have met some virtue signaling glass ceiling opportunity that makes them look good, not that helps you to be good. Story here on the Epoch Times, January 25th, that would be yesterday says the military's push for diversity harms the warfighting ability, defense analysts say. It's not just academia. It's everywhere. says the U.S. military's increased push for diversity and inclusion, as reflected in the far-reaching National Defense Authorization Act signed on December 23rd, aims to remake the military's culture and ethos along the same lines as left-wing policies that have been put to use at elite colleges and other areas of the private sphere. We've all heard about it. You know, accusations by... Secretary Austin and the Biden administration, that somehow the military is systemically biased. I, I got 30 years of uniformed service. I'm the third of four generations of army officers. Never seen it. Were there things to overcome? Certainly. And, and by the way, my dad, who was a career officer, he used, to, he used to be very proud of the fact that the military was, in his words, the first true melting pot of our society. But he points out here that in the NDA is a requirement, this is one example, a requirement that ROTC in college, that ROTC programs have to collect and report data on racial and gender comp composition of those who complete the programs. Why? What's the point? Why would they do that? Is it just a gut check? Well, we just want to make sure. You know, hey, just want to make sure. No, you want to make sure so you can do. That's what's happening here. It says... In the rest of the article, the push for diversity and the emphasis on race as one of the primary indices directly undermines a military culture where servicemen are supposed to think less, not more, about differentiating features. True, there's only one color, green. 
There's only one hairstyle. You know what I'm saying? There's only one food you eat in the mess hall. There's only, you know, you've got skills, apply them. We don't care what color you are when you got here. It's what color you are that you're here now. It's green, period. And yet now they're having to track racial and gender demographics to make sure that they've got, you know, the right mix within the military ranks to what end? And then are you going to go ahead and, like, recruit differently for different races? Are you going to provide bonuses if they come from a different ethnic minority? Are you going to tell white people they can't join because we got too many of you? Guess what? The Air Force already has some of that. Oh, we got too many white pilots. That's the thing that I had on the show here a few months ago. It's going to destroy our combat readiness by literally saying it's not about how qualified you are. It's not about what a warfighter you can be. It's not about your leadership capability. It's about whether you make us look good, which is what DEI is all about. Here's another one. You ready? Lee was talking about med schools a minute ago. Postmillennial has a story dated yesterday. Diversity in Surgery Internship Program. What? The Diversity in Surgery Internship Program at Chicago Med School is under investigation after complaints of bias. Well, I can tell you right now, the, the name is biased. Says the Department of Education, and this is kind of interesting that the Department of Education is actually doing something. The Department of Education has launched an investigation into the Loyola University School of Medicine following complaints that the requirements for its Department of Surgery's diversity internship were discriminatory. You think? The program is only currently open to members of certain races, and applicants are required to even submit a photo of themselves. God almighty. It says, on January 19th, the DOA's Office for Civil Rights began an investigation. This looks to be a clear violation, it says, of Title VI. Applications are limited to those who identify... Okay, so Boomer, you and I can go ahead and identify if we want to. We're, you know, even though we're just cis white males, boom, you want to go. You want to apply for med school? You can go ahead and identify as something else if you want to. <laughs> Applications are limited to those who identify as African American, Hispanic, Latinx, American Indian, Alaskan Native, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, notably absent, or Asians and white students. So basically, they're saying. Um, we're doing surgery internships as part of our med school process, and you're only eligible if you fit a certain demographic that make us look good. What you got? You think uh, I can tell? I say, yeah, you got something, man. what you got over there? I'm looking at this. Yes, I see that in med school. Of course. I mean, why aren't you, why are you doing this? You want the best of the best working on all your patients, not just this guy. You know, that, but, but that, you know, that kind of goes back to what that professor said earlier, the professor from Alabama. Mm-hmm. He, he said what they're doing at the academic level is not at all setting them up for success in the actual world. And so what we're looking at here is, yeah, they don't care whether you're a good surgeon when you leave. They care whether their demographic profiles look good while you were there. That, that's just insane. Yeah, it actually is. It's insane. insane. I mean, is this, this is happening in all these businesses, correct? Not just businesses, uh, academic worlds, okay. med schools. What if, what if you looked at it in sports? Are you just going to get a guy that looks good and stands back there and uh, can hold the ball but can't really throw it at all? You think he's going to be famous? You think he's going to help that guy, that team win? Well, I identify as fast. So can I I run the ball? I identify as really – I can jump really high. (laughs) I identify with these cool shoes that I can jump high. I identify as tall. Can I be the point guard? I promise you I'm going to win lots of games and be really famous. Not – (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Is that why they're going after instead of doing it for their teams? 
That's why they're going after all these uh, pride nights and things like that. You know, you're looking at it, oh, we're not going to do it for our team because we really want our team to win, but we're going to do pride nights so that everybody feels good. I guess. I don't know. I'm just thinking of they, all those other that's, things. That's a great point. They got a virtue signal somehow, I guess. Diversity, <sighs> equity, and inclusion. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry. All right. Now that we're both mad, go ahead and take us to a break. <laughs> all right, folks. We'll take it to the break. We'll come right back and wrap this sucker up, and then we're going to come right back after that. Bottom of the hour, Boomer and McQueen. You're going to want to stay tuned for that one. This is good stuff. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right, making it cool to be a conservative. Wrapping up this topic on DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, apparently it struck a nerve. Text lines have got stuff on it, and of course, we had Lee call in. Boomer got all fired up a moment ago. (laughs) And by the way, Boomer, you were talking about sports. You you make a great point. Uh, DEI is cool until they need to win. That's right. right. So, so DEI is like that thing. Okay, we got some DEI going on. We're uh, we're hiring this way. It's like, but if you were to look at a sports uh, a franchise and say, yeah, okay, we want to see DEI on on the field, that it it probably wouldn't go that way. Well. well, they make their money because they have fans in the stands. They're not the fans are not going to be in the stands to watch a little miss Mister. Uh, Pepe Le Pew throwing the football instead of Tom Brady, you know? Pepe Le Pew. I don't know. That was the first name that popped in my head. And, and, and when we have seen that kind of thing happen, it was like more like a, a, a demo kind of thing. Like they had that right. transgender hockey game. You and I were looking at it again a moment ago where the, the transgender dude, which was really a chick, and went up against the transgender dudette, which was really a guy. Right. And dudette crushed dude. <laughs> And so you don't see the transgender women that want to be men go into the male sports because they don't want to get not often. Yeah, they don't want to get hurt. Or when they see it like that happen, they're like, ah, no. yeah, that's not. We're not doing that again. I'm going to do that again. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, we're seeing, by the way, DEI is um, starting to be the first thing cut. That's interesting. So we've had a lot of layoffs in big tech. You know, the economy being what it is, the, the Biden economy that we're in, Biden inflation and all of it. Um, has created some, you know, difficulties in, and some of the bloated big tech industry is uh, is is shedding, you know, employees. Well, like at Twitter, it says the Twitter diversity equity. This is a story from Bloomberg, by the way. Phil, did you go to Bloomberg? I did. <laughs> at Twitter, it says the diversity, equity, and inclusion team is down to just two people from thirty. They had thirty employees at Twitter who simply had the job of ensuring diversity, equity, and include in doing what? I mean, don't you want the best tech? So you go out and hire the best techies, all right? The best techies. And if they're all of one ethnic minority, do we care? I mean, if you're, if you're literally discriminating, that's a different story. But if you're saying we hired the best and they all happen to be of one ethnic persuasion or one you know, demographic, then I, I got to ask. What's the company for? Well, I get it. 
Maybe they're just going to make sure that they've not discriminated. That's fine. Except what they're finding now is, yeah, we kind of had the bloated ranks of our workforce in the DEI department. It says layoffs sweeping the technology industry are gutting diversity and inclusion departments, threatening company pledges to boost their underrepresented groups and ranks and leadership. Listings for jobs in the DEI field were down 19% last year. They dropped 19%. Uh, however, interesting in the tech field, software engineering and data science jobs saw large declines at 24 and 27% respectively. So that's interesting to me that even in the tech world, they're hiring fewer techies, but there's still hiring less, but not as far less. What am I trying to say, Boomer? 19% DEI down 27% techies. Mm. Interesting. They're, they're still caught up in it is what I'm trying to say. Recent years, it says, have seen a diversity and inclusion hiring boom after Black Lives Matter protests in 2020. Organizations of all stripes made promises to boost their gender and racial diversity. And then he goes on to say, they may not be keeping their promise. Well, DEI job postings in 2020 went up 123%. It was the field, man. You could get you a job. Hey, I'm here to make sure you're not biased. Come on in. Here's your six-figure job in a corner office. Um, but the unfortunate circumstance that we have, too, is it's not just on the liberal side. Um, Daily Signal has a piece dated two days, three days ago. Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion seems to have entered the bloodstream of U.S. politics and not just in one party. Republicans pledging to fight it are at times indistinguishable. What we're seeing right now is that Republicans are voting for things in bills that are DEI-related, and I saw an article that I don't have with me right now that I believe may have been from the Heritage Foundation. Uh, I have to go back and check and see. That literally said that each of the new committees now staffed by the majority Republicans in the House are still saying on their websites and all that DEI is one of their prime focuses. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to be at all. It's virtue signaling. And it, it is, you know, Stop. All right, folks, that's enough of DEI. I've had it. Had it with the DEI. Doing nothing but trying to make people virtue signal in themselves into a favorable position. All right, we're going to come right back. It's time for Boomer McQueen. I can't wait. We'll be right back. Right Side Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we 
are back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, covering all of North Alabama. Solid conservative, just plain right, covering some ground across the northern half of the great state of Alabama. I'm talking about from way down south of Birmingham, up north of Huntsville, Tuscaloosa, back to Gaston, parts of Georgia, Tennessee, and Mississippi, all thrown in just for good measure. All right, we're going to one of my favorite new moments on the show. All right, two of my favorite people, Boomer and McQueen are in studio right now. Of course, Boomer's always in studio, but um, we do this segment now, Boomer McQueen, where I, I just sort of find out what the perspectives are from these two folks who I, I greatly respect, but they also come from the generation right behind mine. And I want to, I want to know what their generation's thinking or what they're thinking. And so we just, we just, we just see where it goes. And sometimes it goes places, man. I'm just telling you. Boomer, you still got the whoop whoop soundtrack right now. Hit it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) All right. All right. The, the call has been made now. Um, McQueen, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fantastic. All hail the queen. We're glad you're here. Um, the uh, All right, so let me do this. The first question. You ready? I'm ready. You ready? Boomer, you ready? Oh, I'm, I'm so ready. Okay. All right, here's I, – I don't care who goes first. So what's the biggest culture battle of your generation? I mean, like, there's, like, culture battles on abortion. There's culture battles on gender fluidity. There's snowflakes needing trigger warnings all the time. There's – What's the biggest culture battle in your perspective for your generation? What, what are you thinking? Who's first? I, I'm going to go first because oh, we were just talking about it, so I'm going to jump in. He's snowflakes so with the hand with in the, the air. Hand up. Snowflakes. <laughs> snowflakes. Snowflakes. People that just are so sensitive. <laughs> now I don't know if this is for my generation. Maybe I'm just talking for myself right now. Yeah. Um, but snowflakes that are sensitive, and then also like. People that are like dependent on the government right now. Oh, says so you're you're okay. You, is that the same thing? Is that a snowflake who's dependent on the government? Yeah, or are you saying that some of them that go hand in hand that they're just they're on the top of my list? All right, so a snowflake. Let's let's define that then. Is a snowflake is that like a person then that uh, that uh, gets triggered too easily and needs a cry room and they don't know what to do with hard times? Yeah, like the people you know in school that need a boohoo basement that need to go away and talk <laughs> for a little bit and. And their, I mean, their feelings are hurt just so easily. I, I mean, you blame that, the participation trophy. I oh, don't you. like the participation uh-huh. trophy at all. Like, oh man, I got into trouble because I almost made my son give a give a medal back because it was a participation. <laughs> medal. True story. <laughs> I just, I mean, this the generation that everybody's a winner. Uh, I mean, you need to. You need to learn to lose. You need to learn to lose. Losing's a big part of life, and and it's a great learning experience. I, I don't know if it was this, if it was so, in y'all's time frame or not, but when I was a kid, every Saturday you had the Wide World of Sports came on TV. It always talked about the thrill of victory and the mm-hmm. agony of defeat. Uh huh. Yeah, I remember that. And we yeah. don't talk about defeat anymore. No, we talk about everybody's winning. So good, good job. And All right. I agree. Uh. And you said it's the. It, so it's just a too? great no, but just it's a great <laughs> life lesson. It's so important because, like, I feel like that's why people can't handle situations, and you know, you have just so much depression well, and suicide and so many things that stem from, I think, not being able to handle defeat and losing. And absolutely, like even in the workplace nowadays, people expect times when they get in trouble for doing something wrong, which is should be normal. Yeah. Do it right, figure it out. They 
curl up. Oh, remember that guy that did something wrong <laughs> at the Starbucks and was curled up in the, we talked about it. It was a barista that did, uh, I don't know, maybe he was, he was gender. Uh, maybe that was the gender guy that was uh, curled up in the back room. We talked about him. And oh, was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. That was, that was so talking hard. about his gender. Uh, I had but, to work four extra hours. Yeah. I don't know what to do. Yeah, that was awful. All right. Uh, so we switch gears. Sorry. All right. You, you, you calm down. No you come down. I know she probably hasn't fired even answered up about yet, that. So. No, I haven't. And I had, I, you had totally different responses. So than what's I did. yours, McQueen? Okay, we settled. Right. What yeah, is, settled. in your opinion, the cultural battle of your generation? Okay, I'm gonna go with just all the gender fluidity and oh, wow. transgender, you know, rights and all those sort. Just everything kind of. I'm gonna wrap everything up in that. Really? Mm. Okay. So yeah. How, so, so that's in, 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 okay. Then let me ask you this: Is that relate to the snowflake thing? Like it's people who've never been told no, so now they do mm-hmm. whatever they want. Is that is that tied together? Well, I think it could be, and I think a lot of it, you know, I, I feel like now it like people just act like based on feelings now. You know, it used to be like you couldn't, you had to sit with it or wrestle with it or. You know, at a certain age, you can act on it or whatever. But now it's just like, I feel this way. I'm going to do this. I identify as a cat, so I'm going to use a litter box. I mean, that's just like what people do now. A fluffy? Is that what they're called? Furries. Furries. Furries, yeah. Oh, lordy. Um, So I – but, like, the reason I think that is it – it's not just like someone says, oh, I feel like this or I identify like this and it affects them. No, because it goes so much further than that. And now all of a sudden that's what's – you know, why you see these – drag you know drag shows that children are at and i saw the most horrible things on social media just like the last two days that i mean it was every bit of disgusting horrid thing i could it was just horrible and it all had to do with kids but it all started i feel like from from this because how someone identifies is now being portrayed or it's they're pursuing their own truth and that's that's so important have your own truth your own truth and so I don't know. I just think that that it's it doesn't just stop there. It's extending everywhere, and it's going into you know affecting our our kids and grown men being able to use girls' bathrooms because they're you know they're transgender. And well, now that's being pushed on us. Well, that that's exactly right. It's being pushed not only on us this but our true. our kids. Well, that's this what is I'm true. saying. Is yeah. it's like it would be one thing if someone said I identify as this, I want to do this, and done. That's you. You do you. Like th- that's okay, but it's extending over on our children and in our schools, and that's what they're being exposed to at very early ages. Okay, so then I guess I'll wrap this segment up then by asking: All right, you say that's the biggest cultural battles, snowflakes on the one, <laughs> gender fluidity for the other. But all right, so if that's a cultural battle, what is it doing to the generation that you're in? Is it? I mean, and by the way, it's I, making I, us I, weak. Hang on a second. Oh, sorry. I, I, okay. <laughs> no, just, what I was about to say was. I want to make sure that we take note of the fact that y'all are in that generation. And in my opinion, there's a lot of folks like you that don't agree with the things that you just said are, are, mm-hmm. are, are, are big issues. I mean, they don't agree with snowflakes. They don't agree with gender fluidity. But there are a bunch that do. So what is the outcome for your generation? Boomer, you said what? You said a moment ago. I, I just said it's making us weak right now. Yeah. I mean, you see it. You see it. What we just talked about in, in the military. There the DEI stuff. They're, they're trying to get these people in that may not be the best at what they do. And now it's just making our military weaker in those areas. And, uh, I mean, but that's in schools, that's in, uh, healthcare, that's in, 
there, there's so many different things. That's, I mean. Okay. What, yeah. what, what about you? Gender fluidity. What's it doing to your generation? Yeah. Well, I feel like it's creating both, both a tolerance and intolerance that are completely unhealthy. Like it's making us like tolerant and accepting things and therefore like agreeing with it. And it's making this the truth and lie uh, line, it's getting very, you know, very hazy when it's because it just, we're so accepting of all these things because I think we don't want to hurt someone's feelings, you know, or like looked at a certain way. And then at the, at the same time, I feel like it's, yeah, I mean, I just feel like it's like a tolerance and an intolerance. It's both. And it's just turning, it kind of creates that hate instead of like, we can still love people even if they're doing something that we don't agree with or we think is wrong. I, I heard somebody say, uh, and I thought this was a great point, that what y'all both just described are what we would have to call first world problems. Because in the third world and the second world, parts mm-hmm. of our, our earth, people don't think about these oh, things as much so because true. it's not important. Right. And, and when you're a first world country... You've got you're so spoiled. You've got so much, so many assets, so many resources that you can stop and focus on things that don't matter. Like I think I feel like a girl today. You know that, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, you're right. That, it's like really petty when you take a step back and look at it. Mm. I mean, right. what we're fighting about. And that's like you're the right side way yesterday talking about that person in. Oh, where was it? In, toppy. Yeah, the toppy, and then also. Uh, we're praying for you. No, we're praying for you that's because right. of because you got it too easy. You have it too easy. You listen to my monologues? I do listen to your monologues. (laughs) All right. Tell you what. We got about three minutes left before we go to break. So I'm switching gears. All right. Totally new question. Okay. All right. Uh, Who went first last time? Boomer, you did. I jumped in. No, I was good. So uh, how do you figure out who to vote for? What what do you do to figure out who to vote for? That's a good one. At any level. At any level. Okay. Well, just let me say in, in the past or... The way I was kind of, not the way I was raised, but I used to just think like I voted party. That's just kind of what I thought I was supposed to do. Yeah. And then I was like, that's not not that I was taught that. I just felt like I don't know. That's kind of how I, just what I thought. Um. Then I was like, no, like I, it really needs to be based on what their policies are, who the people are, like what their what their ideas are, what their you know future plans are, and like then you know and that that's how I'm going to choose. Well, I think that the way that you know is divided and as we are now, like just. Democrat, Republican, whatever. It's like it, it's not just saying, "Oh, there's one way to do it, and this is the second way to do it." We all have the same end goal. I feel like that's kind of a little bit uh, different goals, a little different these days. Yeah. So, so I, I, as much as I don't like to say I only po- vote uh, party, that's I do. Yeah. Um, but I do. But also, I think I used to also not know how important it was to vote or to to vote and to know um, what was going on locally. But it's like. Locally, that's where that's where it all starts. Oh, you know, yeah. county and state, and that's what's going to influence the big picture. So, um, just doing thorough research. Um, but I, yeah, I just I think that like over time, like when I first was able to vote versus now, my my outlook on it was is completely different. How do you figure out, Boomer? How do you figure out who you're going to vote for? What do you what do you, what do you do? Well, oh. I forgot to push the button. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now it's after learning so much. Even just being on this show, I now know the importance and will start looking local. Yeah. Because local is really what's going to affect us. Yes, nationally is going to affect us as well. Sure. As well. But, I mean, wow, just learning so much about the local, the the local... I'm sorry. Like I'm school losing. Boards, yeah, the city all the school boards. I mean, that's what matters right mm-hmm. now. And then, and then when it comes around to it as well, the national, I will 
I will jump in. Well, on we that can too. affect change a whole lot more locally than we can nationally, right? You know, right now. You can, and and, and it's amazing what you can do even at the national level. But you're right, and and, and oftentimes. Your local and state leaders are people who are actually in your same churches and restaurants. Right. And yeah, they're the accessible, malls. so we can talk to them. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So true. All right, Boomer, take us to a uh, break, man. All right, here we go. Round one, Boomer McQueen <laughs> for for the second episode of <laughs> Boomer McQueen. That's not bad. You guys were I like, like it. I just like ask questions. Y'all just like pounced, both of you. All right, folks. You Phil Williams. Ready for that first one? <laughs> right side radio. Phil Williams. Y'all stay tuned. Boomer McQueen. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. Hey, listen, uh, we, we're doing Boomer McQueen right now, and it's it's, it's like blowing me away. But uh, now's the time we flip the script. You guys ask me a question, any question. I sit almost in fear and trepidation as to what <laughs> questions you're going to ask. So, so last time you asked me something that uh, kind of caught me off guard almost. So well, yeah, if you were president for the day, I know. basically. Yeah. Well, I, I got. I, okay, you I, first. I'm thinking one. Yeah, uh, oh, but also, can I just let the audience know our website video is down. It'll be up, hopefully, momentarily. You can check out YouTube or Facebook to see the live video stream, All right. just so people know that as well. Right. But my question for you... For me? Yes, for you. So we haven't really heard much about North Korea or China lately. Yeah. Um, but I saw an article on Fox Which talking... Which good, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I saw an article on Fox talking about, like, you know, they're backing, North Korea's backing Russia, and how it's really important on that battlefront... Um, you know, that Ukraine wins. It's like a global importance. But um, what are your thoughts on like North Korea continuing to build their nuclear arsenal? They're getting more bold by flying drones into South Korea. I mean, will we see them get more bold this year? And, you know, what is the administration going to do about it? Oh, uh, wow. Okay, was that one question or nine? Did that you was have, just, you can just you answer it in one. question over here? I mean, I, I'm like taking notes over here on all those questions. I mean, I was just going to ask, how do you like your steak? <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, so North Korea. First of all, uh, North Korea is like the petulant, spoiled child on the world stage constantly. Um, and when they say they're backing Russia, uh, that's their way of stomping their feet and having a fit because they didn't get what they wanted from the United States. Um, it's also their way of trying to signal that they're they're important and we should pay attention to them because what they say and do, mm-hmm. well, you should you should care because they are literally the snowflake of the world. Um, but <laughs> they're a snowflake with nuclear weapons. So don't let me try to play that down to the extent that it doesn't matter. Mm. All right. So on the world stage, I think what you're going to see more of with uh, with uh, North Korea is more petulance, uh, more posturing. Uh, they're going to do things that bother people. It's kind of like it's kind of like having the spoiled kid in the class who won't quit talking. It's kind of like having the spoiled kid in the lunchroom who throws his food, um, you know, or or the or the kid on the on the playground that uh, gets mad when he's not included in the games. Mm. Um, all that to say, the kid has nuclear weapons. 
So I do think you're going to continue to see them doing things like trying to get the Biden administration's attention by launching missiles into the Sea of Japan. Um, they're going to they're going to continue doing things like flying drones across the uh, the southern uh, border into South Korea. They're going to continue doing things like posturing that they mean something to Russia. Russia could care less. Um, uh, but China sort of keeps them tamped down. Okay. So as we're looking at that part of the world, they're also a distraction. So as we worry about, you know, Taiwan, uh, that's if you see increased activity by North Korea, uh, watch for it being a distraction from what's happening with Taiwan. Mm. All right, what's your question? Ooh. I like my steak medium rare. <laughs> medium rare, that's a good answer. Sometimes I call it medium plus, but you know. Okay. Um, um, what was your? What you have a real question? What was your real question? That was, oh, that was a real question. That's important <laughs> stuff. That's how I like how I form an opinion about someone. Uh, my dad always made the best steaks too. By the way, he he did. He had a, he had a T bone down to an art. Mm. Um, and something Yum. about the way he seasoned it, it was like the best steak I ever ate. This guy's um, pretty darn good at. Oh, the boom! Yep. I, mm-hmm. I do love grilling. All right, stupidest story of the week. <laughs> All right, so that's the other piece we used to always do with Copper and the Birdman. Then we did it with Boomer and the Birdman. We wrapped the segment up with. What's the stupidest story of the week that you guys have found in your cycle through the news? I'm going with you first, McQueen. What do you got? You got the okay, look on your face well, like you're excited about this one. Well, because I think I think it's funny, but I don't know if it's the stupidest. But <laughs> it was, and it wasn't just this week. It was like a couple weeks ago. But it's still really funny. Okay, so um, the tennis player. Tennis player. No. Hold on. Did you forget it? Right, hold on. Golfer, not <laughs> tennis player. Golfer. Okay. <laughs> they were they were they were polo shirts, you know. Okay, so the golfer, um, Scott Stallings. Yes. So there's two Scott Stallings. And so the master's invitation was sent to the wrong Scott Stallings. <laughs> and so just like a couple weeks, this is like two weeks ago, the wrong Scott Stallings um, like sent an Instagram message or something to the real one to let him know that he had received the master's invitation so <laughs> and he was going to mail it to him. And so, I don't know, I just thought that like... He's a he's a pro golfer. He's famous, and they sent it to some random person that had the same name. Uh, you know, wow. when I was in the legislature, we had two Phil Williamses, one in the House and one in the Senate. And, oh, that's and some of the funniest stories I had out of my eight years in Montgomery were when people would would get mad at him and send me the email, and I'd go, "Sorry, wrong, <laughs> wrong guy." One. That's fun. Oh. Well, I think I have the the stupidest. All right, stupidest. What yes. You got? Uh, so there in Florida, there were some burglars. That called nine one one to what? get help. I saw this too. Hey, let me let me let me don't steal my thunder. So so <laughs> they called nine one one to get help moving the stuff out of the house they were burglarizing. Shut up. Yep. They called nine one one and up. the deputies thought it was a joke at first, but then they figured out, oh no, it's definitely no, not a joke. That is and not real. That can't be happening. The lady said, Yeah, we called nine one one for the purpose of having law enforcement help us help them move their belongings from the house. They were burglarizing. Well, they did help them. They helped them get all the stuff in and then they took them to jail. <laughs> I- this one, there's a special website. They also people. wanted to help. Uh, they wanted them to take them to the airport too. Apparently, oh, shut up! They were trying to get out <laughs> to of the country. Away. This is <laughs> so that that would. Uh, that there's, was really you know funny. what? There's uh, there's some people just too dumb to live, in my opinion. <laughs> they may, they are one. under the influence of some. All right, stupidest story of the week. I'm going to go ahead and give you that one. Uh, it's not a participation trophy. I'm going to say you won that outright. Yeah, uh, <laughs> no participation trophy here. And me and Scott Stallings will get a participation trophy. <laughs> that's, that's right. You you thank you for being a part of the today's events. All right, Boomer McQueen. 
Love you guys both. Appreciate what you do for this show. And, uh, yeah, we'll have you back next week. Be back soon. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Bill Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. ruffians out there you are listening to right side radio solid conservative just plain right you're listening live to right side radio with bill williams it's hard to go wrong when you're on the right side right side radio Solid, conservative, and just plain right. Alabama syndicated news talk leader, Right Side Radio, Phil Williams here live in the Right Side Studios. Man, the local, the state, the national, covering down on all the issues. And like the dude just said, solid, conservative, and just plain right. Well, it is hour number three. It's inexplicable to me that it's hour number three, but uh, I'm pretty stoked because there's a feller sitting right here about to sing into a can <laughs> that uh, I've had the pleasure of knowing for quite a while. Uh, State Senator Clay Schofield hails from Marshall County, uh, represents Senate District number nine. I used to be Senate District number 10. Yep. And uh, I, had the, uh, I had the distinct honor sometimes infamous honor of sitting next to him on the Senate floor for eight straight years. And uh, anyway, um, Clay Schofield, how you doing, buddy? I'm good, desk mate. How are you? <laughs> I'm well enough. I'm proud of you. Well, what, this is crazy. It's awesome. I mean, you, you went on You went on to be the majority leader of the Alabama State Senate. I just got a radio microphone and I sing into a can. You're singing into a can. I mean... I, you want to swap? <laughs> <laughs> Sir, there are days when I'm sure that my life is better than yours. 100%. Um, hey, listen, uh, so folks, I'm, I'm serious when I say this. So Clay Schofield, Senator Schofield and I, he's the majority leader uh, in the Alabama State Senate. He's among the leadership that sort of sets the tone and where we're going on things uh, in the, in the uh, Alabama legislature. When you, see, when you see major bills getting put out there, when you see things that are being debated, when you see committees being formed, um, Clay is somewhere in the mix. Um, that said, I think it's important that folks know, uh, Clay, that um, you still get up and put your pants on one leg at a time. And by the way, he is wearing pants. Yep. Which, yep. Is, which is good. Y'all can't see it, but I, you're, I am wearing you're, pants. You're, you're overdressed for radio. Yep. Yep. Um, but uh, so your background was in farming? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a that was a long time venture for you too. What poultry and cattle, right? Sixteen years. Poultry and cattle. Yep, sixteen long, hard, broken <laughs> years. <laughs> well, you got out just before the Biden inflation took apart, and then the eggs uh, went through the roof. But, yeah. Um, um, but I uh, got elected in 2010, same year I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, came in at the same time, and now you're the Senate Majority Leader. Um, listen, you got your hands full this past year. It was election season. I can't imagine. Um, we got a Republican supermajority, uh, and some of them are conservative. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the uh, Senate's very conservative. I think the Senate could do some stuff, man. Um, yeah. And there's there's a number of topics. But let me ask you this: before we even go down that road, y'all go into session in March this year, right? March seventh. Okay. Yep. Just had the organizational session. Mm-hmm. Everybody's got their committee assignments now. Yep. Uh, I got the breakdown over here somewhere in the stacks. But um, if you had to pick one or two major agenda items, what, what, do, you, what do you think's coming in the legislative session that's coming up? What, what can we expect to see or not see out of that session? I think one of the most, and you're extremely familiar with this uh, because you chaired the, what we call the FRED Committee. FRED, Fiscal Responsibility, Economic Development. Correct. Um, now Senator Gudger. Yep. is uh, Senator Livingston chaired that. He's moved to confirmations. All right. And then Senator Gudger is going to be uh, chairing Fred now. So this year the JOBS Act okay. comes back up. And, you know, that is that is obviously a, a huge, huge deal uh, that's been very successful. I think you you worked, you were intimately involved in that. We were, yeah. Uh, and, and so that's that's back up. And so that is a major, major, major. Is that a renewal or an enhancement of the Jobs Act? Renewal, and I think we may make some enhancements. Uh, I've not seen the report. You know, they have a committee set up for it. I hadn't seen the report yet. Um, looking forward to seeing it and yeah. seeing how we can improve upon what has already been successful. Uh, and that's something you ought to be very proud of that you worked on because the amount of jobs that it has created in Alabama has been extensive. We also had some numbers the other day that those particular jobs that the Jobs Act has brought into Alabama, the average wage is, I think, 36% higher hmm. than the – I mean, Phil, that's a big deal. Yeah, and and you, you were a big part of that. Well, and thanks, uh, and that's, a, that's a legacy you're going to be able to – or that you have the left that – you know, is is still paying dividends for the well, state. And, you know, and what's interesting to me is there are some people that still call that like corporate welfare and all you're doing is, but no, he's not. You're actually, you're, you put clawbacks in those contracts. Yes. They, they have to meet metrics. They get to pay the state back if they get an incentive that they don't live up to. Yep. Um, and uh, and it has brought a lot of jobs. Okay. And it's tied to jobs. It is it is literally tied to job creation. That's true. And it's, that's big. It's not a wish. It's a must have. Correct. All right. Well, I, I, that's cool. So that's that's coming up this year. What else you got on the agenda? The, I mean, obviously, the other thing is is ARPA too. Um, ARPA being the relief funds we got from the federal government. Correct. We this this rounds another billion, and so you know, obviously, we're treating it the same way we did the first round. We're not spending the money; we're investing the money, and obviously, this round is much more tighter controlled. Uh, you know, with 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 restrictions. Um, water, sewer, broadband definitely qualify some other things. Um, and so we're, we're really trying to be smart of how we're, we're investing those, those funds so that, that, you know, it, cause our kids are going to be on the, the hook for this for a long time. So, so the, there was talk about doing a special session for the uh, appropriation of those ARPA funds. Is it going to be a special, or are you going to blend it into the regular? I would. I, I think it would be wise to do a a special because, like we did last time, you know, kind of we we go in, we 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 adjourn, go into a special. You know, you're not really having like a special another week. Yeah. But as you well know, and. and not to say anyone would do this. <laughs> oh no! But but you know you have a billion dollars. You could leverage that, and so we we think 
we we need to go ahead and get that off the table. I've never seen anybody hold no. something up to get what they wanted on something else. That never, never happens. Never. So so Lord. you know, so let's let's be wise of right. of how we invest those dollars and not get political with it. All right. Well, you're bringing up something though that um, one of the one of the the points that I want to talk with you about, uh, and we got we got a few minutes for the first break, but but ARPA funds. That's one of the reasons we have a surplus is because we have this huge influx of federal cash. It's just sitting there in a pot. And we got to spend it, uh, and we got to spend it by a certain date. Most of it, twenty twenty six, all of it. Yeah, but but that being said, we've also seen surplusage in revenues collected in general terms, and and um, and a lot of that fed the education budget because that's the way our our crazy budgeting system is set up. Yep. But we've even seen surplusage that we didn't expect in the general fund side, mm-hmm. uh, which is everything else it takes to run the state. For those who are listening, all right. Here's my question. Surplus funds, are we going to see tax relief for the citizens of this state? Because back when you and I first started, surplus was a dream. Surplus was not ever going to happen anytime soon. Well, now it's there, mm-hmm. and we're, what, 12, 18, 14 years later, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, are we going to see any relief for, for taxes? I, I, I think there will be. Um, I, I think, though, um, as you as you very astutely stated these are one-time funds some of them are some of them are i do think we i mean we do have economic growth in there but a lot of it is one-time money i am I, I want us to be cautious and conservative about it um prep if if i had my wish i think the most cons- because when me and you came in Billion dollars in the hole. Oh my gosh! I, I mean, we, you know, and so I think that's no reserve accounts, nothing. Right, and I think that's why I'm a little more guarded and a little more conservative on this. I would, if I had my way, we'd sock it away and see what happens in a year. Yeah, but here's here's one of my my concerns on that is is that you know there's been a ton of that money that came in and the majority of it the governor was given the authority to just invest it in more government. And there's been a lot that's been, and I and I and I feel like that the the private citizen has just really had to bear the brunt of this you know whole pandemic and then the Biden inflation that followed and everything else. So if we're talking about tax relief and you said there's something on the table, are we looking at rebates or reforms? What do you think? I I think. I think you've got there. I think right now there's there's three options out there that that are just being discussed. And as you know, the the process is the process, and we'll have to go through and see what everyone wants to do. Obviously, you know, uh, you know, permanent tax cuts, um, rebates, and setting up another trust fund are the kind of the three areas that I'm that I'm gathering are being discussed right now, um, and so. You know, we'll just we'll just have to see, and you know, I again, I going through what we went through, yeah. Um, where I, I told I told a couple of freshmen just today, it, it kind of hit me. You'll appreciate this. I said, when I first got elected, we were dealing with how do we how do we deal with a billion dollar hole in our budget. That year, we did, didn't we? Yeah. A billion dollar hole it was, because the it the, was awful. the state had been running off federal stimulus dollars for the past two years prior to us coming in with proration of the budgets and everything. else. Correct. And I said, now the first vote that you guys are going to make is how to invest a billion dollars of ARPA money. Yeah, I, I mean, I think our challenge right now is 
the the freshmen that are coming in and even even the great folks who came in in 2018 they they didn't understand what it, I mean we were cutting essential services oh yeah we were we, we were downsizing government streamlining operations and and trying to find a way to pay the bills and keep the lights turned yeah, on yeah and i mean we were literally it wasn't i mean it was cutting it was cutting into services people but, used. but but that kind of, and I don't want to call it a depression mentality, but that's kind of what it is. You've been through a hard time. You appreciate the good time. Um, but but that, that kind of thing, and we are up against a break right now, but that kind of thing right there is one of the reasons why I hope that folks like you who've had some time under your belt in the legislature can appreciate that you've got something you can finally give back mm-hmm. um, and not just have to patch holes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um Let's talk about it more when we get back, all right? You bet. All right, folks, that's round one. We're with uh, the majority leader of the Alabama State Senate, Clay Schofield, representing Senate District 9 up yonder in Marshall County Way. And uh, somebody I sat next to on the floor of the Senate for eight years. He's a good dude. And we'll talk about more stuff in Montgomery when we get back. Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. back phil williams right side radio solid conservative just plain right making it cool to be a conservative sitting here right now in the uh, studio with none other than the senate majority leader clay schofield um representing uh, senate district nine but also the majority leader for the entire republican uh, group in the uh, state senate all right schofield no holds barred man Let's i'm go. putting you in a, i'm putting you in a horn swoggle now you ready i love a good horn swoggle <laughs> school choice school choice uh, we're, we're like 50th in the nation. Uh, there are, I want to say eight or nine states that spend less than we do per student that still rank higher than us. So that means money ain't it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. we've got mm-hmm. Iowa yesterday, day before yesterday, signed into law the most comprehensive school choice legislation ever. Um, and it rivals what Arizona's already doing, what Oklahoma's trying to do, what other states are like. So anyway, bottom line is this, bud. School choice. We got to do something. What are you thinking? I'm hearing a lot of chatter. I'm hearing a lot of people talking that aren't usually talking. Yeah, no, I think so. I think something's coming. As you know, I mean, there's a lot of different versions of school choice. Right. Um, and I think I think it's two, twofold. I want to talk about school choice, and then I want to talk about accountability. All right. Um, because obviously our, our, our objective is to raise those scores. Now, I do think, I don't know if you've followed the Literacy Act and the Numeracy Act, but we are seeing some early signs of successes there, and we're investing money strategically. We're not just saying, you know, if kids not reading on a third grade level, we're going to hold them back and not back it up with, you know, proper resources and all that. We're, we're doing that, and I do think that that's going to start, start really moving the needle. Um, and, again, we're seeing some the, – these these – Early scores were a good indicator, right. but um, you know, at the end of the day, you know, again, we're we're we got to move our scores up, and and I know you and I, you know, voted on the the, the accountability act, and we got the scars, got to prove the it. scars from it. Um, but but if 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 a parent 
if a parent wants to get their kid out of a consistently failing school, they should be able to do that. All right. Majority Leader, I heard you say that, and that was a perfect statement. You're right. Uh, Lieutenant Governor has said that most recently. And, and, of course, he doesn't set the the agenda for the calendar, but he's there. He presides over the Senate, which makes him sort of part of the process. Sure, yeah. And then uh, the governor made some kind of loose comments in her uh, uh, recent uh, uh, investiture speech or, or, or on, on uh, the day she was sworn in for her next term. Um, I'm hearing new members of the legislature, and I'm even hearing old members of the legislature, sat right there in the seat about a month ago was Nathaniel Ledbetter, the new Speaker of the House. Uh, he's for school choice. So I don't know that I could hear more chatter. Mm-hmm. The question is, is there going to be any, any real action? And, what, and what's it look like? You know, I mean, again, it could it could be, you know, vouchers. It could be, you know, credits or expansion. You know, I mean, what, what does that look like? You know, I hate to say the devil's in the details because – I don't think devil's in school choice, but, but I do want to hit on the accountability part Yeah. because again, what's our goal? Our goal is to, um, to have an education system that is working to improve scores and, and kids are learning. So, so the accountability part I think is important because, because here's the, here's the thing that, 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 that stays in my mind about school choice. School choice only works if you have a parent who cares enough to know that their their child is not performing well in that school. And and that parent then has to actually physically make the decision, I'm going to take my child out of that school and find them a better option. Okay, but I'll throw one piece on top of that. All right. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that completely, that, that it starts with the parents who are willing to take a role in their child's education process, which mm-hmm. COVID really brought a lot of that to the forefront. You, but, yep. but here's the other piece. School choice is like having the free market in, in, in terms of competition. Agreed. It's like having grocery stores competing for the best produce and the best prices. And, and so if you have school choice, even the kids whose parents don't take an active role actually wind up benefiting because the schools then have to recognize that they've got to do a better job or they're going to keep losing students. And so they do a better job with those they have. And I, and I think that free market drives some of that. Even if the parents aren't involved, the kids still benefit from a school choice state. Right. No, I, look, I agree. Here's, here's the only thing that I think we all need to keep in mind that's important. These are kids. Yep. And, and, and that is, you know, as well as I do, you've seen it, you know, if we have school choice, we're going to be working in the marketplace, right? Finally, in, in, in the marketplace. Sometimes market forces take time to, to, to work. Okay. Every year we leave those kids in a consistently failing school, yeah. we're, they're falling behind even more. We can't take our mind off that. That's why the accountability aspect, I think, is so important. Those consistently failing schools, we need to go in and hold them accountable now. Yeah. Right now, we don't need to wait on market forces to work. We are still we are still putting tax dollars, and you still got a building, you still got utilities, you still got personnel costs. We need to not keep throwing good money after bad, and it. and every year let those. It is a twofold. Let's let's not just say school choice is going to fix it. It's going to be the silver bullet. If we do that, and that's our singular focus, we're going to continue allowing those kids to be failed okay. in those schools. That is so important in my mind. 
I, I agree with that, and that's a perfect perfect out to the break we got right now. But you're, but you're right, because the only place in the world where you can fail and to get refunded for the next year is government. And, uh, and so, um, all right, brother, we're looking to come right back. We'll do some more. State Senator Clay Schofield, Majority Leader of Alabama State Senate. Y'all stay tuned. We will be right back. Side ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right. And we are back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right covering some ground across the northern half of the great state of alabama i'm talking about this show goes way down south of birmingham up north of huntsville tuscaloosa back over to gas parts of georgia tennessee and mississippi thrown in just for good measure um hey before we go any further i gotta tell you real quickly uh, about my friends at just love coffee cafe so just love coffee cafe two locations in our listening area one on hughes road in madison the other on south parkway in huntsville Listen, man, we just, Travis from Just Love just texted me a minute ago. We had another listener walk in the door and say, heard about this on that radio show, just on Right Side Radio. And so I, I love that. So when you go in, make sure you tell them you're here because you heard it on Right Side. But, but I'm telling you right now, it is worth the trip. You know I love coffee. Well, it's called Just Love Coffee Cafe. They got the, the, the award-winning dry roast. They can grind the beans fresh and make you a steaming cup of light or medium, or dark roast coffee. They got what Charlene calls the treat coffees, the cappuccinos, the lattes, the espressos. But they also got a menu, man. They got a menu of food to knock your socks off. You can have breakfast for dinner. You can go in there any time of the day and get what you want. They got sandwiches, wraps, and it's all different. It ain't your usual drive through So I'm just saying, just love Coffee Cafe. You, you got to ch- I love both locations. I've been to both, and listen, I like them both. Just Love Coffee Cafe, two locations in our listening area, one on Hughes Road in Madison going out towards City Hall, the other on South Parkway in Huntsville down yonder by Whole Foods. Tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. We are back right now in studio with my brethren, uh, State Senator Clay Schofield, Senate District 9, Majority Leader of the Senate. You just like all grown up, man. You just like, you just, here you are, Majority Leader. Man. I mean, I mean, I... You ever got, pinch yourself? When, when when you got to the, when we first met, I was, I was about when Buck was a calf. <laughs> when Methuselah was a child. When I was knee high to a grasshopper. I'm saying. <laughs> um, in fact, funny story before we go into in, in back into politics. Uh, uh, so so Clay, we had a we had a we had a glassed in room at the back of the Senate chamber where you could uh, you know go back there and have meetings and still see the floor wranglings and you know keep track with. That was Clay's dipping room. Oh boy, had a pinch between Chica's gums and go back there and but you don't you don't dip anymore. Nope. But you uh you, you told me that you, you quit for a while and you almost got to the point you were biting people's heads off and your secretary told you you had to start back up. She told me I was gonna have to start dipping again or I was gonna lose my next election. <laughs> <laughs> she was probably right. Uh let's go back to school choice for a minute, man. Um all right, so I'm hoping we're going to see a bill. I, I hear there's some some model legislation that's going to be floated. Um, 
I know it's got to get through committee. I know last year, Senator Marsh, who sat right there in that chair not too long ago, he was frustrated. He was the former pro tem of the Senate, couldn't get his own school choice bill out of committee. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to have to be folks like you who are pushing it because you all are the leadership. But um, do you see a bill coming? In your, in your, if, you're, if, you're, if you were a betting man, which I know you voted against the gambling bill, but if you were a yep. betting man, do it again. Would you, uh, would you imagine there to be a school choice bill coming to the floor? I would, I would imagine. I mean, I, you know, I think, I, I think once, once the conversations start happening, the momentum starts building. I think that 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 usually yields to something coming to the floor and being debated. Yeah. And and with having everybody talking about it now, I think, I think it probably will. And you know, again, caveat: what's it look like? You know, what's it, what's it do? I mean, you know, I gotta, I gotta add that. Um, you know, if it's, if it's quality or, or not, you know, I think, um, I mean, yeah, I would, I would think so. Okay. So then, uh, let's keep the thread of education going and it kind of gets into a different environment, but, um, you know, during COVID parents saw a lot, like parents got a front row seat to some stuff they didn't know was happening. Some got very dissatisfied and then others were super frustrated because their kids were told to go home and log in. And they didn't have any internet capabilities where they live, especially in the rural areas of our state, which oh, yeah. you, you and I, our districts, both have a lot of rural areas. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I remember, and it's been going on ever since, you've had kind of a, a drumbeat for uh, rural broadband expansion forever. I didn't know what broadband was, but where are we on that? Are we rolling out broadband to the, to the, to the, to the, to the outlying areas of our state? Is it going to help kids get logged in in the future, we hope, if that ever happens again? This is cool. Since 2018, you voted for the broadband bill right. that, that I first first proposed. That was my dream that I looked y'all in the eye and said, I'm telling y'all this will work. And since 2008, um, the state of Alabama has hooked up 46,000 new locations so what does that effectively do what does that mean for the state when, when you say that i mean that means you know sixty four thousand new locations i mean how you know that that's a a house or a business okay so there may be four kids in that house or two kids in that house or you know four people or whatever but but forty six thousand new new locations and that the amount of money we've invested in it has actually incentivized $125 million worth of private investment. Okay. So that was that was my goal all, all the time was, look, if we take this amount of money, we can turn it, we can incentivize a, a whole lot more of private investment. And you still you still chair the Rural Broadband Commission, don't you? The IDEA Committee, the Alabama Digital Expansion Authority. Okay. <clears throat> and then, excuse me. After the last round of ARPA, we appropriated $85 million of the ARPA dollars to build a robust middle mile uh, network around the state. Um, middle mile is essentially, essentially it'll be like a, a high-speed internet interstate that goes around the state. Um, and what's interesting is the the power suppliers, our co-ops and all that, and Alabama Power, uh, Power South, et cetera, they actually won the bid on that. And they won it because they have 
thousands of miles of dark fiber already around the state that they use for their kind of their own network, but it's not lit up to be public. And so for a, a much smaller amount, we were able to help light that up, connect it together. It wasn't all connected. Connect that together and then light it up. So that will help us expedite getting broadband out there. Then we, we also um, allocated another $192 million for last mile. Last mile is wow. getting it to people's homes. Now, here's this what you also ought to be proud of, the legacy you've left. In 2008, you also voted to give – yeah, you did. I wasn't there in 2008. Excuse me, 18. Okay. 18. <laughs> it all runs together. Uh but a deca, some money to develop a statewide map. I'd encourage everybody to go to DECA's website and look at our statewide map. We're one of the only states that has a statewide broadband map. We know where 96% of broadband is and where it ain't in Alabama and at what speeds. So you can see the dark areas and the light areas. Correct. Basically. Because what you know, my argument the whole time was what good is having a a plan if we can't have, you know, be able to measure that, you know, if it, if, if we're closing in those gaps. So because of that map, and again, one of the only in the country, and they tell us it's the best in the country, in the federal uh, infrastructure bill, they've allocated a lot of money to rural broadband. And so um, most States are going to get a minimum of around $100 million um, to expand broadband. But it's based off, above that number, it's based off a formula of how many, how many people are not served by broadband. All these other states are just going to be guessing. We're not. We're going to be able to give them and are able to give them a definitive number of how many people we have. Mm. And because of that, we will be able to have more of that federal money. That's good planning. So so I guess basically the, the, the boots on the ground question then is if we ever had one of those situations again where little Johnny and little Susie had to go home and log in to do their homework, you're saying that more little Johnnies and Susies could be able to log in. Correct. And, and we're not – you remember rural power and rural water had assistance. It had government assistance. I mean, we'd still have, I mean, us in North Alabama, as much aggravating as they are, we didn't have TVA. We'd still, you know, we we wouldn't have Redstone Arsenal. We wouldn't be the North Alabama that we are today. Um, and and that was for better or worse done with with government assistance. Broadband's no different, and the pandemic highlighted how important it is, is as important as power and water. Well, and, and yeah, that, that, that's the point, I guess, is that uh, there are essential services of government. And, and, I'm, and I'm not a big government fan. You know that for a fact. You and me, me both. Either. I mean, you and no. I both streamlined a lot of stuff when we started out. But, but uh, I, that being said, uh, government builds bridges and roads. Yep. Government builds water lines and sewers. Um, and there are some people who say that broadband capability is a part of the roads and bridges of the it future. Is. It's part of the infrastructure. It um, is. But, but that being said, too, let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm also a fan of public-private partnerships. So in rural broadband, are you, seeing, are you seeing the private industry kick in to do their piece for the big puzzle? Is that, is that happening? No. So when we, when we started down this road, 
um, you know, my my number one thing was this wasn't going to be a government run deal. Okay. Uh, because we that's not that's not yeah where we Good. should be. We need to incentivize the private sector who who does what they do and they know the business. Okay. That's what it does. We're essentially we're we're essentially saying um, under these conditions, under these speeds, and we've said extremely high speeds, hundred over twenty or hundred over hundred, for for them to get the ground. We're not incentivizing them to give rural areas subpar internet. If we're going to invest public dollars, it's got to be the best. So basically, you're letting the bids for it to be constructed by the private sector is what you're saying. A lot of it. Well, they'll bring the prod. They'll they'll basically put forward a proposal. Okay. Uh, and and it has to make you know our our minimums, and which they're actually way over. Yeah. It's interesting to see. Um, and so um, we'll basically say just an example: the the state will kick in. You know, if you're if you're going to serve run the lines to serve, you know, 350 more people, we're going to kick in 20% and they kick in 80%. Ah. That's why we've drawn so much in private investment down. Okay. So we're actually doing it different than, than power and water. Power and water most of the time was, was just yeah. straight federal government money. We're incentivizing companies to expand. Remember, AT&T is a multi-state company. They could invest anywhere else. So now that we're offering this program, they're choosing to invest in our state instead of elsewhere. That's just an example. There's numerous other multi-state companies that are doing that. Well, listen, um, Senator Schofield, we got to have you back more because it's obvious that you've got your hands in a lot of pies. But uh, but uh, being majority leader of the state Senate, we look forward to hearing what's going to happen in this upcoming legislative session. They go into March. Um, I, I am personally harping on school choice here on this show and mm-hmm. on tax relief. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope you can find something meaningful in that and then uh, certainly appreciate, too. Uh, he didn't know I was going to ask about rural broadband. I just asked him, but uh, but you can tell you know your stuff on that. Listen, man, I appreciate you. Thanks for your service to the state. You got it. Thanks, Bill. All right, folks, listen, we're going to take a break right now. We'll come back and wrap up the day. Uh, that was State Senator Clay Schofield, Senate District 9, up yonder by Gunnersville Way. Uh, and, uh, and, and, folks, listen, these are real people just doing abnormal jobs. Um, But um, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Back, Phil Williams, Right Side Radio, solid, conservative, just plain right. Hey, before we go any further, I got to tell you, folks, ZLA Solutions, uh, one of our original sponsors, been with us since the beginning of this show. ZLA Solutions, you can find them at ZLAUSA.com. And listen, they are like epic good at getting people in jobs lined up. ZLA Solutions. They, they, if you're looking for a job, number one, they can they can find those jobs for you. They've got them posted on their website. You can go on there. You can log in. You can check them out. But, yeah, if you're an employer looking to fill out the ranks of your workforce, oh, they can do that, man. They do. 
They, they, they are good at getting you the onesies and twosies you might need. They're, they're also good at filling out an entire shift if you need it. They can do the recruiting, the background checks, the drug testing if necessary, blue collar, white collar, no collar, it don't matter. ZLA Solutions. You check them out. Find out if what I'm saying is true. I guarantee you will. And when you do, please tell them you heard about it on Right Side Radio. That's ZLA Solutions at ZLAUSA.com. Um, Clay Schofield was just here a moment ago, uh, and I got to tell you, I, I meant to I meant to give him a ration boomer on the air. I've got oh, an article what, right what here about? I forgot about. So, <laughs> so it turns out that there's a uh, the the number uh, is it number one, the number one high school prep basketball player high scorer of the I mean like with averaging forty points a game cool. is a six foot five kid named Clay Schofield <laughs> from Theodore, Alabama. No way. And and there are people who he told me that there's people saying. You got a son we don't know about? <laughs> His response was, well, if he becomes a millionaire NBA star, then yes, he's my son. Absolutely. <laughs> wow. Anyway, how funny is that? That's pretty good. Um, we got a ton of folks on the test line that I couldn't get to because I was talking to Clay. Uh, mix, mixed bags. Uh, we, got, we got some, uh, was it Louie from Birmingham? Holding on to our money is not the conservative that we're talking about. Drop the sales and gas tax and give it back to us a little bit at a time. Uh, uh, you know, Louie, I don't, I don't, I don't doubt that. I think that's going to wind up being, we're going to see something. I, I believe that, um, mm. how much we can get back. I don't know, but, uh, the, the reality is we, they've got to do something. I, I think boomer, I mean, they've got to do some measure oh, of tax relief. I, I, I see that. I mean, I wouldn't mind the income tax. <laughs> yeah. Drop an income tax yeah. or, or for that matter, uh, or gas tax. Right. Yeah. You know what? I think they're too embedded on the gas tax. I didn't even ask well, about uh, that. Did grocery I? tax. Grocery tax, I would see that. That to me, the grocery tax is the low hanging fruit. No pun intended. Got it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's the low hanging meat and bread and poultry. Mm. But but no, it's we're we are literally one of the only states in the nation that taxes groceries. Wow. Out of all fifty states, there are only I think twelve that tax groceries at all, and there are only three of those that tax groceries at the highest possible rate the state would allow, and we're one of those three. Man, so I mean, it's 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 really to me, it's one of those, it's a it's literally a um, it's a tax on the poorest of our society because everybody's got to buy milk and bread, right? Uh, and and you know some that have the EBT cards and all that, I get it. Maybe they're not dealing with it as much, but the truth is, that's the one we should be tackling and getting rid of. Mm. It, it would be something that everybody could participate in. Um, yeah, and they everyone would see see the benefit of it as well. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's some that argue uh, illegal immigrants are here. They don't pay income tax. The only way we can catch their revenue is by, the, by keeping that grocery tax in place. I, I got to say, I, I think it's time for the state to get out of the business of taxing milk and bread. Mm. Um, but here's the thing. It brings in like half a billion dollars a year, like oh. upwards of $500 million a year, all of which goes to education. Yeah. It, all that goes to education? So we have that wacky budgeting system. We're one of only three states in the nation that has split budgeting. Everything in the world education is in our ETF, our Education Trust Fund budget. Yeah. Everything else it takes to run the state, like mental health and roads and bridges and state troopers and, and corrections and Medicaid, all that is in the general fund budget. The education wow. budget gets all the sales taxes. Wow. So that's why the the, the teachers', teachers union, hates, union it. hates it. They hate they hate they the hate idea the of doing the grocery choice. tax because oh. oh they hate school choice too, but yeah. they, they hate the idea of doing away with a sales tax revenue because they say it'll affect but here's the thing. they just they've been passing the biggest budgets year after year for the last ten years. 
in education, Alabama education history, and it's not improving the numbers, so the right. money's not the issue. Huh. They they just want to keep it for themselves. I mean, keep well, it for yeah for their 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 pot. Right, their pot. That's what they want. Um, wow. It, it, more to come on it. Mm. Um, Racing from uh, Hawaii just texted in. Racing, we're glad you're out there, buddy. Uh, Racing from Hawaii says the uh, uh, the debt clock, the national debt clock, is just ticking. Ah, uh, you're right, man. It, it actually is. Um, uh, somebody who did not give us their name and where they're from. Um, says Henry Ford proposed to finish up the Wilson Dam and make Muscle Shoals a center for manufacturing, and the Senate stopped the sale to Ford and started the TVA. Who knows what would have happened if Ford had been successful? I don't. That's a great point. By the way, <laughs> tell us who you are and where you're from, so we can say hello to John Doe from wherever. Um, all right, I hear the music playing. <laughs> I mean, the preacher's got to quit preaching. All right, you guys, you have an amazing night. Tomorrow's Friday. I've already got good stuff planned for it. Boomer and I back here tomorrow too. We'll see you then. Ruffians out there, you are listening to Right Side Radio, solid conservative, just plain right.